We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice. But there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hey. You know, therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and, and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant. And not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. And this is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. 
it covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is the sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, and he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source, The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. Well, we've been making our way through a series uh, on the Lamb of God, and that should catch, if you haven't been here, that should catch you up. We've looked at the Old Testament sacrifices of Genesis and, and the priestly sacrifices like you saw in the video. Um, and we looked at the sacrifice last week of Christ on the cross. This morning for uh, Resurrection Sunday, we want to look at the victorious lamb. Uh, we want to fast forward to Revelation, okay, and, and uh, a revealing of what is going to happen at the end of time. And you'll find that uh, a description of the Lamb, the victorious Lamb of God in Revelation 5. So if you would uh, turn there, that's at the very end of your Bible. It's the last book of the Bible. Uh, the Apostle John is, is being given a revelation uh, of the last days and what uh, will come to pass. And uh, we want to see what happens with this Lamb that we have been looking at over the last four or five weeks. Revelation chapter 5. In, uh, in chapter 4, uh, we have a description of a throne room, of, of what kind of is going on as, as they worship the one on the throne. Uh, and so this is a continuing of what's happening in that great throne room at the end of time. Verse 1, Then I saw... In the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we see this powerful, powerful image revealed to us through John, God, I pray that you would move our hearts, that you would see the amazing Lamb of God in all of his diverse excellencies. God, move in our hearts this morning. God, if there be someone here who doesn't know you, and that they may turn to you and trust you as their Savior. And God, us as Christians, give us reason to weep no more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We live... In a world that seems crazy. It seems as though things are not as they should be. With mass shootings and terrorist attacks and and cancer and, and human trafficking. And we could just list it on and on. The reason, the things in our world that cause us to weep. It causes us to say, this isn't right. And, and we're not alone, alone in that weeping. Our, our grandparents... They, they, they weeped over world wars. As long as there has been man and, and as long as there has been sin, there has been reason to weep because things are not as they should be. And here we see the Apostle Paul, as he, as he uh, I'm sorry, Apostle uh, John, as he gets this view of the throne room of God at the end of time and 
and it's not finished. There's things that need to be done. Evil must be destroyed. Evil must be taken out of this world. And, and it all hangs on this, on this scroll and these seals. And they begin to say, who, who is worthy? Who is worthy to open up the seal? And no one was found. They looked all over the place. They couldn't find a man worthy of it. And John began to weep. This isn't right. This isn't how it ends. It's not finished. Things need to be made right in the world. Evil must be destroyed. But then in just one moment, everything changes for John, for all of us. As, they, as an elder says to him, weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has conquered. And so he can open the scroll and, scroll and its seven seals. The appearance of the one who is worthy set the world right again. One who can once and for all end the weeping and sorrow in the world because of evil because of sin and maybe as we examine this beautiful image of this lamb this scary yet beautiful image of this lamb perhaps this morning we might find reason to weep no more first of all we see that we weep no more because of the transcendence of the victorious lamb there are those who would construct of themselves a Savior, a Jesus, if you will, of their own making. Many want a Jesus that's just a, a hippie that loves people and He wouldn't demand anything from you. He'll accept you just the way you are, doesn't care about you being holy. Like That's what some people want. They just want a Jesus who will feed the hungry and that's it. There's others who, who want a wrathful Jesus. They want a, a Jesus who will uh, stamp out, stomp out any sinner within an inch of fun. Like that's what they want. They, they, man, they, they just want a wrathful God. A wrathful Savior that will just destroy everything that you don't like. But can I ask you something? Would you really, really, would you really trust a God of your own making, a Savior of your own making to fix what is wrong with the world? How are you doing in your life? And you think a God that you construct, a, a Savior that, hey, I like this kind of Savior, do you think that's going to fix the world? No. Only one who who doesn't check all our boxes, or one who checks boxes that we would rather not be checked, only a Savior that we could never devise can fix what's wrong with the world. Jonathan Edwards described him in this way, an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. In this portrayal in Revelation, we see him in one verse, He's being referenced as the Lion of Judah. Okay? He's being referenced as a lion. The very next verse, he's being referenced as the Lamb. 
So what is he? Like, is he the lion that I need to be scared can rip me apart? That I need to run from? That I need to hide from? Or is he the lamb that I go and and can pet and, and have no fear of? A gentle creature? What is he? The answer is yes. Yes, he's both. He's, as Edward said, an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. And he's both one to be absolutely feared and one to be fully and fearlessly embraced. And I think we need to be careful because sometimes I think we, we read things like this and we say, okay, so like the Jesus in the Gospels, he's like the lamb. He's like the, the nice Jesus. And then in Revelation, like that's the lion Jesus. That's the scary Jesus. But we see throughout the life of Christ, we see that at times he's a lamb-like lion and at times he's a lion-like lamb. Look at the the, the examples, just a few examples of the lamb-like lion. We see in his birth that he's born of these meager circumstances in a trough, in a barn, showing this is going to be a a very, a, a, a Savior coming to serve. We see his gentleness. We see someone who did not scare sinners away, but on the contrary, we actually see Jesus attracting sinners to be around, that that wanted to be around with him and wanted to hear what he had to say. He had a gentleness about him. We see in his crucifixion that that in in the last week of his life, he was the silent lamb that was being led to the slaughter. And even here in our text in Revelation, Even in his conquering moment where he's fully revealed, he's still the lamb that was slain. So we see throughout the revelation we have of Christ, he is at times a lamb-like lion, and and also throughout his life, he's at times like a lion-like lamb. Though gentle with sinners, we see him rip into Pharisees. We see him call them a brood of vipers. The very week that that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, he was making whips and flipping over tables in the temple. Even as he was led as a lamb to the crucifixion, and it appeared that all this was just uh, humility and defeat he was at that very moment crushing Satan's head and we see in here in Revelation and in chapter 6 we see people so terrified of the lamb that they're wishing that the mountains would fall on them to hide them from his wrath so we see that throughout throughout scriptures and and throughout what has been revealed of Christ, we see someone who's not easily confined to what we want him to be, but someone who is altogether different 
God and Savior of complex, uh, diverse excellencies. And also, we, we weep no more because of the appearance of the victorious Lamb. We have this description of, of what He looked like. And so John describes what he sees, the appearance of the Lamb. We see that the victorious Lamb stands those slain. It says in verse 6, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Think about that for a moment. Think about the implication here. Lamb standing though slain. Isn't that a strange statement? When we think of something slain, we don't think of it standing. Hunter, when you talk about slaying a big buck you don't mean a slain big buck is running around the woods right you mean a slain buck is laying on the forest floor like a bag of hammers not standing not walking around and yet here we we see a lamb who who has been dealt a fatal wound and yet still stands. A wound which He received for us to heal us. A wound that He still carries as a constant reminder of the price He paid to ransom for us from our sins. But the fatal effects of that mortal wound wore off long ago. In fact, they wore off a few days after He was inflicted with those wounds. Because He stands, though slain. He's slain, yet He stands. It's an amazing statement. For He he no longer lays motionless still in a tomb like Buddha and so many others. He stands in victory over death in heaven in the throne room of God. We see that the victorious Lamb stands in perfect power as well as He is described as having seven horns. Like this is where we begin to see that this is not a normal lamb. This is when we begin to, our image that we have of like a petting zoo lamb, it begins to dissipate because He has seven horns. You know, my dad always liked to say to me, you mess with the bull, what do you get? You get the horns. Gabe, I use it with Gabe as well. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. Meaning, if you mess with something dangerous, you're going to get the repercussions of that. Well, the, the lamb, he didn't have a couple of horns. He has seven horns. We know that in Scripture... We know in Old Testament, the horn, horns represented power. And the, the number seven throughout Scriptures represents completion. And so what we have here in this image of Christ with these seven horns is one who stands in complete and absolute power. We'll see in the next chapter the wrath It's talked about the wrath of the Lamb being poured out on His enemies. The phrase like the wrath of the Lamb is almost humorously ironic if it wasn't so terrifying. The wrath of 
the Lamb. You do not want to endure the wrath of this Lamb. He comes in unlimited and perfect power, able to destroy all that stand in His way. We see that the victorious Lamb stands in perfect knowledge. Because he's covered in eyes, it says, and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. As horns represent power in the scriptures, eyes represent knowledge. And once again, the lamb has seven eyes uh, demonstrating perfect knowledge. There is no hiding from this lamb. He sees into every centimeter of the earth and every square inch of your life. Think about that for the moment in light of His sacrifice. This Lamb who who has perfect knowledge, which means, folks, He sees the depths of your depravity. That part of you, that depth of your soul of darkness that you never want anyone to see, you never let anyone see. He sees that. He saw that. When you were in the womb, He already saw that. And yet this God, the Savior who perfectly sees you and knows you and knows all your flaws, still is the Lamb who was slain for you. He took that wound for you, even though He knew you in the depths of your sin. That's fascinating. That's amazing. That, as Romans 5, 8 says, that while we were still sinners, and He knew we were sinners, Christ died for us. The Lamb who is... The Lamb with the seven horns could have crushed us the lamb with the seven eyes that fully knew us could have rejected us but the but he chose to be the lamb slain for us folks if that does not awaken your heart this easter morning i don't know what's wrong with you we weep no more because of the accomplishments of the victorious Lamb. We see that the one accomplishment listed here is that the victorious Lamb ransomed the people for God. It says this, this song that they sang in, in verse 9 and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth the blood of the lamb uh, the, the slain lamb ransomed the people for God a people called out of the rebellion to worship God you know we hear a lot about diversity in our day uh, in some ways it's taken too far, and it's almost worshipped. Uh, we, we see diversity that, that, that trying to be forced. And, and the reality is, 
is that diversity comes when there is something so amazing, so worthy of our honor, that everything about us falls by the wayside as we lift up in worship to one thing. And the Scriptures tell us that thing is Christ. That thing is is, is the Lamb slain for us. That is what will unite. That is what will create diversity and and will create a people from every tribe, every tongue and nation, with all kinds of languages, all kinds of colors, all kinds of differences. They will be united in their worship of Christ. And He has accomplished this. And He will accomplish this. We see that the victorious Lamb bends the knee of all. He has accomplished a status that no one can any longer deny at this point. Verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Every creature. Paul actually prophesies this in Philippians Chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in earth or in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. From the most reluctant unbeliever to the staunchest of all atheists will one day admit the worthiness of the Lamb. The, the ones who laugh and scoff at a man re- coming back to life will one day bend the knee. Those this morning that are saying, hey, it's really appropriate that Easter's on April Fool's Day because that was, an April, that was a, the biggest hoax ever. Those people saying that will one day bow the knee and say, blessing and honor and glory and might forever to the Lamb of God. But the sad thing is, is that for many of them, it will be too late. For all of them that denied Him in this life, it will be too late. Because they did not believe in the sacrifice of the Lamb-like lion, they will endure the wrath of the lion-like Lamb. After bending their knee, they're going to take off running. So we see in chapter 6, they're going to take off running because they know they've had it. And that's what we see in chapter 6. And, and it, we see his other accomplishment is that the victorious Lamb brings peace once and for all. This is what happens to those who who denied Christ, those who did not seek refuge from their evil hearts in Him. In Revelation 6, 16, it says, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I don't know about you, I've been very terrified at times. I once ran from a bear in New Mexico, freaked out. 
but I never at one moment said, I really wish the mountain would fall on me to hide me. Imagine the terror of the wrath of the Lamb when the people are wishing that the mountains would crush them and not the Lamb. But in this moment, he is gonna, He's going to put an end to it all. To all who have rebelled, all who have refused Him, all who have done evil. He is going to lay waste to them and restore a new world. A world where there will be no more weeping. This morning we've seen the victorious Lamb in full display. We will all give an accounting before this Lamb. If you have never been saved this morning by the blood of the Lamb, there is a reason to fear this resurrection morning. I know this has kind of maybe in some ways been a hard message for Easter because you're looking at a terrifying Lamb. But there is reason to fear this Easter morning if you remain pursued by the wrath of the Lamb. If you remain uncovered by the blood of the Lamb, you have reason to fear this morning. But there is no reason for you to have to leave this place in fear. The Lamb-like lion has been fully revealed to us on the cross. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter for us. All who come to Him will not be driven away. Won't you come to the Lamb this morning? Come! Come, lost person. Come, person who's just who's here for one day just to hear an Easter message. I am begging of you, don't walk away from this place under the wrath of God, under the wrath of the Lamb. Walk away from here under the blood of the Lamb that brings hope that brings life, I beg of you to come to the Lamb this morning. Bow the knee to Christ this morning in faith and repentance and be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. I will be right here. I would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to. There are people around you that would love to talk to you about the Lamb of God who was slain for us. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. Won't you come? Won't you come? And find yourself under the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for Christ. how hopeless and fearful we would be under Your wrath and under the consequences of our sin if it were not Your giving of Christ. God, I pray that lives will be changed, that hearts will be changed this morning. That that there will be those who will walk out of this place with hope 
without fear because they've met the lamb-like lion of revelation. God, move in our hearts this morning. Change us. Help us to worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.